Welcome to Big Valley. Welcome over in the venue. And thank you, uh, Pastor Brandon, for leading the venue over there. And Brittany, one of our interns, led uh, communion, and you did a fantastic job. Thank you, Alex. You know, uh, one of the things we do here at Big Valley is we have all these young uh, interns. And um, I get to kind of see them all the time and see the stuff that they're doing. And I'm excited about the young leaders, young believers who really sense a call to ministry, whether it be women's ministries, men's ministries, worship ministries, maybe being a senior pastor someday. And it's really a, a neat thing that we invest in uh, young people who sense a, a call to ministry. And you both did a, a great job here today. Um, and, and by the way, welcome to all of you that are watching online. We have hundreds and hundreds of people that watch online. Uh, glad you're with us. In our, uh, before I get into this thing, I, j I just want to introduce somebody to you. Most of you know them, but some of you, you don't, because in our midst is really one of the, the heroes of the faith, at least in my life. Um, Stephen Diane Warren, decades ago, sensed a, a call to ministry. And uh, man, they've been serving the Lord faithfully for a long, long time. A long, long time. And they were willing to leave the comforts of um, the United States of America, California, Modesto, and all that this great nation has to offer and pack up and go serve in a very difficult place. And they've been over in, in Africa, touching the lives of young people who aren't as fortunate as the young people in this country. And they've gone over there and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ loved young people and have been doing it for a long, long time. And uh, they're gonna be right outside here. They got their little things set up and you need to go out there and say hi to them and all that kind of stuff. But, but I want you to welcome Steve and Diane Warren into our family here. If you're uh, visiting with us, and I know over in the venue, the, a camera couldn't get to them, but they're, they're up on the jumbotrons. You know, when, when we started ministry, uh, Steve had hair up top. Now it's all shot out his chin. And um, my hair was a different color. Um, but I, I'd rather have this than, than that. Anyway, any day of the week, just to be sure I have that. <laughs> Uh, let me just tell you something. If you have kids here today and they're in the children's ministries, or maybe you have a grandchild here, you need to make sure you go get them after our gathering's over with, and you need to take them out to the ministry wall, and you need to introduce your children or your grandchildren to Steve and Diane Warren, because they are just very, very special people that God has used in some incredible ways. And here's the deal. Here's why God has used them. There's nothing special about them. They're just human beings. The reason why God has used them is because they simply made themselves available. They said, God, whatever, whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. And not, God doesn't call everybody to go to Kenya. God doesn't call everybody to do that. But he might. 
And they were willing to go wherever it is, wherever God was going to send them. And so there isn't really anything unique about them other than they said, God, here's my life. I got one life. I got one shot at this thing called life. I'll, I'll go wherever it is that we're supposed to go. And you know what? When that little green basket went by you a little bit ago, your role wasn't to go to Kenya. Your role was to be faithful, to give, and a little piece of that goes to support the Warrens and others that serve all over the, the, the country. And so thank you for being faithful to that and all of you that pray and all of that kind of stuff. And anyway, last night, just want you to know, because I know you're, you know, we all tend to get in our little things and you, you're here at nine o'clock typically, but we got all these gatherings over in the venue and Saturday night, next hour and all that. Just last night was just off the hook. It, it was unbelievable what happened here. The fellowship of believers was just incredible. It's incredible. The laughter and, and uh, talking and prayer going out in the hallways. And you come in here and we're singing songs together and worshiping the Lord together, praying together, giving together, communion, hearing the word proclaimed together. And then afterwards, you know, I don't know, 30 people went into the altar room. It was, it was quite, a, quite a thing to see the Holy Spirit working here. And, and God's always doing that. But it's the middle of summer, and sometimes the summer tends to be a little bit of a, a down moment. And it could be today you're going to find yourself in the altar room or the altar room over in the, the venue. I'm trusting that the Lord will speak to you today through his word, and um, especially those of you that are here, maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. <laughs> Talked to a guy last night, and uh, his neighbors have been inviting him and his wife to church, and they just keep making excuses. Remember those days before you knew the Lord when someone invites you to church and he'd make an excuse, you know, I, I got to rearrange my sock drawer on Sunday. I got anything, anything but going to church, right? Well, this couple finally said, okay, we'll go. And so they followed their friends here in their own car. And the whole way over, they were just going, oh, man, this is going to, oh, we just, an hour and a half of our life. This is just crazy. What were we thinking? Oh, man, I heard they're just nuts there at Big Valley. And uh, <laughs> so they show up here. And from the moment they got here, man, just the Holy Spirit was working. They, they showed up and they were telling me, Man, the people were just like, like friendly. Like, like somehow, you know, you go to church, the people are just, you know, mean, you know. <laughs> the people were just so friendly. And they were just kind. And it was just neat. There was a nice atmosphere. And man, you're, the music. You know, I just thought church music was going to be lame and, and stupid. And it was done with such excellence. And, and everybody was so nice. And man, the message. And man, and... They just couldn't help but make their way into the altar room. The two people who, for their whole lives, 50 plus years, didn't want anything to do with God, anything to do with the church, organized religion, you know, we're all crazies. And yet, here was the Holy Spirit working in their life, and I had a chance to talk with them. And it's always fun to see how the Holy Spirit works in people's lives. And I'm trusting that. God's going to do that today in some of your lives also. We're in a series here where we're going through the book of 1 John together. 
at least we're kind of touching the highlights of, of, of 1 John. And if you don't have a Bible, all of the verses will be in your program. They'll come up on the jumbotrons. They'll even come up on your, uh, on your TV or your computer screen or whatever it is. Now, if you don't own a Bible and you'd like to have one right after this gathering's over with in the altar room, the altar room over in the, the venue, all you have to do is go in and, and pick up a, a copy. We'd love to give you a copy of the Word of God. We invest quite a few shekels in handing out the Word of God. And one of the things that's uh, kind of unique about this younger generation is that they, uh, if you are a part of that younger generation, you may have never seen a Bible. You've never owned a Bible. And for some of us, that's kind of weird because my generation, you know, everybody had a Bible. We didn't believe in God in my home. I had a single mom, but we had a Bible. And, um, and you know, I, I never read it. I just knew that that thing was, there was something weird about that thing. And so I was always, you know, I didn't want to open it. I didn't want to get around it. I didn't want to touch it. I just knew there was something unique about it. And, but we had one. And we know that there are many of you here, uh, maybe over in the venue, and you don't have a copy of the Word of God. And all you have to do is take a few minutes, go into the altar room, and we'd love for you to, to have the Word of God. There, there's power in the Word. This past week, for whatever reason, had nothing to do with the message, but I just started having some, just an enjoyable time going through the Word, looking at all the things that the Bible says about the Word. The Word of God saves Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, by the word of God. The, the word of God teaches and trains. The Bible says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable to equip us to do the things that God wants us to do. The word of God counsels and guides. The word of God revives and restores the Word of God warns and rewards. The Word of God nourishes. The Word of God frees and sanctifies. The Word of God protects and enriches. The Word of God strengthens. The Word of God keeps you from sin. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And that little phrase there at the end is one of the reasons why your flesh will do all that it can to keep you from reading the Word, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word. It's because it's a mirror into our souls. You see, this morning when you got up, you got in front of a mirror and you combed your hair and you made sure your, you know, your buttons were right and, 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 and you, know, you spent some time in the mirror and that mirror showed you what you look like on the outside. And so a mirror is a good thing. The problem with the mirror in your bedroom or bathroom or whatever is that that mirror can't show you what's in here. Only this can do that. This is a mirror that shows you what's inside. And the last thing your flesh wants you to do is look what's on the inside. It's one of the reasons why we live in a culture right now that just tries to do everything it can to get rid of this thing. Your flesh doesn't want you looking on the inside. But the word of God is something that shows you 
what you're like on the inside. It exposes the truth about who you really are. It exposes the truth that we need a savior in our lives. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 40, the great prophet Isaiah said, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, I love to garden, and this time of year, my Gerber daisies just go crazy. They're just so beautiful, unbelievable. But there comes a moment when I gotta take out my snips and cut them off because they've died. There was a moment of beauty, but it doesn't last. They die. This will live forever. I don't know how it's gonna work. We're gonna get to heaven, and I don't know if God's got a big coffee table and there's a Bible there. I don't know how it's gonna work. I just know that this thing right here is gonna be around forever. And we wanna make sure that you have a copy of it. And so after the, the gathering, you go into the altar room. If you're watching online, all you gotta do is call the church. And you know, come on down, and, and we'd love to put a copy of the Word of God into your hands. Um, Anyway, we're in this series where we're walking through the book of John together, and today I want to jump right into it, okay? I got two things that I want to share with you, okay? Number one, God wants his people to be lovers of people. God wants his people, believers, followers of Christ, uh, to be lovers of people. First John chapter 4, look at verse 7, okay? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. John gives us three great definitions of God in this little book. In chapter one, it says that God is light. In chapter five, it says that God is life. And here in chapter four, it says that God is love. And everybody likes to talk about this idea that God is love, and he is. But God's way more than that. He's way more than love, but without a doubt, God is love. And here's the deal. I, I, I'm gonna talk more about that in, in just a moment, but I wanna unpack the idea that we as Christians are to love. Galatians chapter five says this. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, when we become a Christian, in other words, when there came that moment that you recognized um, who you were in relationship to who he was, when God opened your eyes to the truth that your sin had separated you from the Father, when you recognized that truth that you couldn't fix the problem of sin, when God revealed to you who his son was and that he was the savior that was sent to forgive you of your sin and you humbled yourself and you surrendered your life to Jesus. You, you, you said, Jesus, you're the king and I'm just your subject. Jesus, you, you're, you're gonna be the CEO of my life. I've been the CEO of my life you know, for however many years and now I'm relinquishing that to you and I'm now just gonna be your servant. I'm gonna become your slave because you're the king. You're my king. When, when that moment came, there's no benefit, Paul says, in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What's important 
is faith, your belief in God expressing itself in love. In other words, God says what matters in life isn't your accomplishments or your fame or how much money you got stored up in your 401k or whatever. What matters in life is that your faith, your, your belief in God, your trust in God somehow makes you a better lover. A better lover of God it's the greatest thing we can do with our life, right, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. A better lover of his son, Jesus Christ, and a better lover of, of people. Dr. MacArthur said, saving faith proves its genuine character by works of love. The Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Listen, here's the deal, uh, beloved. If your relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't make you a better lover, something's wrong. Because you have God's divine nature within you, you see. If that was a genuine moment, if you genuinely surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, if that was real, and the Holy Spirit came into your life, the third person of the Holy Trinity is now in your life, you now have God's divine nature within you, and he is love, it has to make you a better lover. Has to. It's one of the outward signs that you truly are saved. I don't care if you said a prayer or not. A prayer is a nice little thing, but a prayer, as we looked at last week, isn't the guarantee that you're a believer. There are these outward workings that the Holy Spirit does within us that are the, the proof that you are a believer. And one of those is you become a better lover of God. You become a better lover of Christ. You become a better lover of God's people and certainly a better lover of those that don't know Christ. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, the chances are pretty good that you heard the preacher Read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could actually move mountains, but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I became a martyr for the faith. I could boast about that. But if I didn't love others, I, I would have gained nothing. Didn't mean anything. And then in verse 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I'm often asked, why is love the greatest? And I think it's because it's the one thing that's gonna last forever. 
You see, when you get to heaven, you're not going to need faith or hope because you're going to be in the very presence of God. But when you get to heaven, heaven's going to be filled with love because the Bible says that God is love, which means we're going to be in the presence of love throughout all of eternity. And I think that's at least one of the reasons why love is the, the, the greatest. John actually says that your, your love for God proves that you're a believer. In 1 John chapter 3, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. This is one of those great, you know, talk is cheap kind of things. And the word of God says to us, hey, don't just say you love somebody. Show it. Live it out. And when you can see yourself being a better lover of God and a better lover of his son, and you see yourself loving God's people and loving the lost, that's an indicator that the Holy Spirit really does live within you. If you're not a better lover of God, if you're not a, a greater lover of Jesus, you know, a lover of his word and obedience, you, you, you know, uh, okay, you said a prayer, big deal. Big deal. You'll know you're a follower of Christ by how much your love is growing towards the Father, towards Christ, his word, your fellow brothers, sisters, the, 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 the lost. You see, love is a behavior. It's a, it's a way of acting. It's something you do. It's a verb. Love isn't some sentimental feeling down in your gut. It's a conduct. And when you love your brothers and sisters in the Lord and you love those that God puts in your life, John says, that's really one of the great outward signs that you truly are a, a believer. Now, Jesus said that love is your greatest responsibility. And I talk about this often. Somebody came and asked him, teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the laws, and all the demands of the prophets, all the things that the great prophet Isaiah said, all the things that the great you know, prophet Ezekiel said, all of the prophets, take, take all the things that they've taught and, and, and shared, you boil it all down, and it's all about loving the Lord, loving God, as it's expressed through our obedience to him and his word, you see. And then it's all about loving others. Beloved, one day you're going to stand before God when you die, and God's not going to evaluate your life. He's going to evaluate your life, and when he evaluates your life, he's not going to look at your bank account. He's not going to look at your list of accomplishments. He's not going to look at your grade point average or all the trophies you won. He's not going to look at your endorsements or your resume or whatever. God's going to look at one thing. You're going to be evaluated on one thing, and that is your love. God's going to look at your life and expose you to whether or not, number one, you loved him. You truly loved him. Did you really give your life to me? Did you love me? Did you love me? 
Did you love my son? And number two, did, did you love others? Did you love them the way I love them? Was, was that a part of your, your life? If my divine nature was truly within you, did you have a love for other believers? Did you have a love for those that I have created? John said this in his second letter, Second uh, uh, John 6, he said, love means living the way God commanded us to live. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is this, live a life of love. Living a life of love is not optional, it's commanded. God has commanded us to love one another, which means if you don't love others, especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you're out of fellowship with God. <laughs> you're sinning. Which means you have some repenting to do. Look, every Saturday night and every Sunday morning, there's about, I don't know, 20, 30 of us that gather in the altar room, all the worship people, leaders in, in different ministries. Steve and Diane were there. Uh, uh, Roger was there. Sometimes our elders join us. And we're always praying about all the different ministries that go on here. And then we always pray for other churches, our brothers and sisters that are meeting over at you know, uh, Calvary Chapel, our, our brothers and sisters that meet downtown at Cross Point, our brothers and sisters that meet over here at uh, Shelter Cove, our brothers and sisters that meet at the house, our brothers and sisters that meet across town at True Light Community Church, our brothers and sisters that meet over here, Bob Irwin's church, Mill Creek. We're always, by name, praying for our other brothers and sisters because we love them. Now, their churches do things a little bit differently than ours. Some might be bigger, some smaller, whatever. But those are my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And because I have God's divine nature within me, I don't have a choice. I can't help it. Um, we always take an offering here, in, if you're visiting with us, in, in uh, uh, December. And it's usually about $150,000. That's over and above what we normally give. And we take that money and it all goes, most of it goes to churches in our town that don't have the resources we have. In fact, next weekend, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about some of the churches that we helped. And the reason why we do that, if you're visiting with this, is because we have God's divine nature in us and we have to help other churches. They're my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I guarantee you, there's not another church in town that God has given more to than this church. We got all these great buildings, these great tools. We got all this land. It's unbelievable what God has given us. The resources that God has given us is off the charts. You're the most generous people on the planet. And because... God has given us so much, much is required of us, not only to love each other here at Big Valley Grace, which we do, but to say, you know what, I got brothers and sisters that go all different kinds of places in our town, in our county, or whatever. In fact, we love people so much that we're willing to take some of it and give it to this couple so that they can go love people in a place that most of you probably couldn't find on a map. Because those people are made in God's image too, you see. And so we've got couples, reach partners, missionaries that are all over, all over. And we're doing our best to love them and tell those children, oh, 
And this year in our, our, our REACH budget, we added another $40,000 said to Roger. Roger, man, here's $40,000 more in our REACH budget. And let's get it out there. Let's keep reaching people with the gospel. We have a lot of loving we're doing around here, but let's keep reaching people out there, you know? It's fun, it's exciting. Greatest cause on the planet, man, woo! And one of the things that I like about this church is that you get excited. Unbelievable, I went to a baseball game, took my son to a baseball game the other day, and people were going ballistic, Woohoo! A guy had a wooden bat, and he would hit a ball with it. And people would erupt in applause because he got this thing called a single. And the crowd would erupt, 40,000 people, he got a single, he got a single! Someone gave their life to Christ! And we're just, the church sometimes can be just so lame. Same Christians that go to a game and scream their guts out over a single, uh, you know, I don't wanna be too demonstrative here. I raised my hand once. I got, I wanna be careful, don't wanna go overboard, you know. <laughs> Paul said this, Paul said love is a choice. In Colossians chapter three, it says, and over all these virtues, and he names a bunch of virtues, he says, uh, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God says, put on love. And you know why God says put on love? You know what that means? It means that love is a choice that you make. That's what it means. It's like getting dressed in the morning. I've shared this with you before. You got a choice as to what you're gonna wear, right? You know, I, this morning I got up, I took my shower, you know, I brushed my teeth, and I went to my closet, okay? And I now have a choice as to what I'm gonna put on. And some of you are going, you made some bad choices. Okay, I got it, I understand that. But I had a choice to make. Remember, I get to look at it, all of you, and I go, what, really? That's, that's what you chose, I had to look at all of you. Um, but I had a choice. I made a choice to put on what I've got on just like you've made a, a choice. Well, the same thing is true about your love. Every morning when you get up, you have a choice to make. Am I going to put on love? Beloved, there have been many times because of my actions or my words or my sinfulness or whatever that I didn't deserve my wife's love. I did not deserve her to put on love. I gave her every reason to leave love in the closet, but because of her deep love for Jesus, because she actually has the Holy Spirit within her, she has God's divine nature within her, though I did not deserve for her to put on God's love. You know what she does? She puts it on anyway. She loves me even when I don't deserve it because she makes the choice that I'm going to put it on. And she makes that choice 
because she has God's divine nature within her. Listen, when your spouse acts in a cruddy way or says cruddy things or whatever, at that moment you got a choice to make. Do, do, do you put on love or do you leave it in the closet? It's a choice you make. And when you choose to leave it in the closet, I want you to know something. You're, you're, you're in trouble, your marriage is in trouble, everything's just in trouble at that moment. When you say, you know what, because of what you said, because of what you did, because of whatever, I'm gonna choose to leave love in the closet and I'm not putting it on, your life is in trouble and your marriage is in trouble. Everything's in, in, in trouble at that moment. Beloved, loving is giving a person what they, what they need, not what they d deserve, which is exactly what God does, right? God doesn't give you what you deserve. If he gave you what you deserved, you wouldn't be here right now, neither would I. That's called grace, that's called love. Now this destroys a, a great myth that we all have about love. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrinkle some of your feathers right now. There's this myth out there that somehow love is uncontrollable. You see, we often hear the phrase, you know, I fell in love, like somehow it, they just simply stumble onto it. It was like an accident. They were walking down the road and there was a hole and poop, they fell into love. You know, and just didn't see that coming. <laughs> or we say, I just don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. As if love is uncontrollable, and that's not true because you can't control love. You can choose to put love on or you can choose to leave love in the closet. It's your choice. Listen, God wouldn't command you to love if you had no choice in the matter. Think that through. God would never command you to do something if you did not have the choice. But you do have the choice, which is why he commands you to love. You get up in the morning, you go into the closet, put it on, put love on. Listen, the truth is when you act in a loving way, when you don't feel like acting in a loving way, that's actually a higher level of love than when you do feel like it. You see, it's one thing to love when you know, you're on your honeymoon and things are you know, going your way and you got lots of money or whatever, but the real test of love is when things aren't going great in your marriage, when you're out of money, when you're sick, when you don't feel good and the pressure's on, you lost your job and you choose to put love on anyway. That's a higher level of love, loving in spite of your feelings of, or your emotions or, or whatever it might be. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. So number one, God wants you to love others. Number two, God loves me. Now typically when you see it up on a jumbotron or whatever, it would say God loves you and you write God loves you. I don't want you to write God loves you. I want you to write God loves me. You write that in your notes. And if you're here and you're going, man, I don't believe in God, I don't care about God, I, I think God's stupid, I want you to write that anyway, God loves me, because it doesn't matter what you think, the truth is that he loves you, whether you believe in him or not. Everybody in this room, at one moment or another, didn't believe in God. That's how we all begin life, apart from God. 
There was a time in my life I didn't believe in God. I thought church was stupid and Bibles were dumb and people were lame who believed in God or whatever it all was. I mocked God, used his name in vain, mocked Christians. I, I understand how you feel. I don't believe in God, so wh what do I care? Here's the bottom line. He loves you, whether you believe in him or not. It's one of the bizarre things about God. People curse God, ignore God, neglect God, disobey God, disbelieve in God, reject God, rebel against God, deny God, oppose God, but he still loves them. He loves you. The Bible says this in Romans chapter five, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I know that some of you are still sinners to the degree that you don't even believe in God. I get it. I was there. Sin has so impacted your life, you don't even believe in him. Get it. But even though you don't believe in him, he went to a cross and died for you just to let you know how much he loves you. Unbelievable thought. Jesus said this in John chapter three. It's probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. It said, God so loved the world, and, and you see that word world there? That doesn't mean he loved the globe or loved Pluto or you know whatever. The word world there, you could just put your own name there. He loved you. That he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish because of their sin, but that they would have eternal life, that they would spend their eternity with the Lord forever. Now someone broke this verse down in a really cool way. I think I put it in your notes. God, the greatest lover, so loved, the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, his one and only son, the greatest gift, without a doubt, that whoever believes, that's the greatest invitation, in him, the greatest person, Jesus, the greatest person, should not perish, that's the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. Isn't that great? And I knew you'd want it, so I think it's in your notes, so I didn't have to send out four billion emails this, this weekend. <laughs> now, I want you to maybe underline those two words, whoever believes. You see that? Whoever believes. In your notes or your Bible, whatever it is you want to do. The greatest invitation there. Beloved, there isn't anybody who God won't love. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what bar you were at. I don't care who you were with. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Doesn't matter. God cares about you. Now I know for some of you this is a hard concept to grasp because you got this impression that you gotta be somehow perfect you know, for God to care about you or love you and that's just not true. And the cross proves it. He went to the cross even though you were a sinful person. I don't care what it is. Jesus loved the unlovely. Jesus loved the unholy. Jesus loved the sinners. In fact, it often got him into trouble with religious leaders because they didn't love sinful people. They didn't love unholy people. They didn't want anything to do with people like this. 
But the Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. Praise God, because I'm one of them. Now, I know that people get saved and then they start acting really self-righteous. You can run into Christians who won't love you very much and they'll point their bony finger at you and bring condemnation down on your life. I get it. I know people like that. But the Bible says that Jesus doesn't come to bring condemnation. He doesn't need to. Our sin already condemns us. We're already condemned because of our sin. He came to save people. That's why he came. He so loved people that he came to save them. And the people that he came to save were unholy. They were unrighteous. They were ungodly. Sinners. And I'm so thankful that the Bible says that he was known. And by the way, when the religious leaders gave him that title, a friend of sinners, that was a derogatory thing. For me, it's a beautiful thing that he was a friend of sinners. Psalms 145 says, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and he's loving toward all he has made. Beloved, the Bible tells us that God made you. You were created in your mama's womb. He knit you together. He made you in his very image. And the Bible says that God is loving towards all that he's made. That means he is loving towards you. He's loving towards you. Psalms 89 says God's love will last for all time. Beloved, God's love is way different than human love. God's love just... It, it, it's forever. It'll last forever. Human love doesn't last forever. And, and if you need any proof of that, just look at the divorce rate. It proves that human love doesn't last forever. Human love often runs out or wears out or whatever. Human love often has a limit to it. I know, I've known families that have loved each other, the husband and the wife and the kids. Oh, they love, 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 love. Bam! They don't love each other anymore. You know why? Because human love runs out. And now you got kids that hate their parents and parents that, you know, I hate my ex-wife and I hate my ex-husband and man, there's just hate where there used to be nothing but love. Human love runs out. Human love doesn't last forever. Not God's love. God's love is way, way different. God said this through the great prophet Jeremiah, I love you people with a love that will last forever. It lasts forever. Romans chapter eight says, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, the one who hung on the cross for us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's absolutely nothing, no circumstance, no situation, no sin that can separate you from God and his love for you. Nothing, nothing. There's no place that you can't go, that you could go, that God's love isn't there, which by the way, is a great antidote for loneliness. Let, 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 me, um, let me give you a, some, some cold, hard facts. Don't mean to bum you out, but it's important that you really grasp this. 
Someday you're gonna lose someone you love, or maybe somebody that loves you. If you're married, you're gonna lose your spouse. One of you is gonna die before the other dies. And that love that your spouse has for you right now and the love that you have for them, poof, gone. They're gonna be with the Lord. And I want you to know, you'll grieve over that. You'll shed a lot of tears over that. And, and this side of heaven, the pain may not go away. There's an old lie out there from Satan that says, you know, time heals all wounds. That's not true. Time will do something, but it doesn't necessarily heal all wounds. You're going to lose your spouse. And you're going to grieve over it. But if you're a Christian, you'll never be alone because you can always tune into God's love, you see. He'll always love you. Someday you're gonna lose a parent or a grandparent to death or a child to death or a friend to death and, and you're gonna grieve over it. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll never be alone because you can always tap into God's love, always. Ephesians chapter five says, you are God's children whom he loves, so try to be like him. Try to be like him. You're never gonna be him. But try to be like him. Some of your Bibles say, imitate him. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a sweet-smelling offering and sacrifice to God. Here's the deal. The way God kind of set this up is this, is that he loves everybody. You were made in his image and he loves you. But there's gonna come a moment when you are gonna die, you're gonna take your last breath. I don't know when it's gonna be, okay? I don't know. You may get another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a car wreck, you know, getting out of the parking lot here, I don't know. And I'm, I'm wise enough not to give you any false hope. I don't know how long you're gonna live. I hope you live a long time, but you may not. I know a little something about that. Kissed my wife 17 years ago, goodbye, see you in a little bit, and she was dead in a car wreck. I, I understand the realities of life. And here's the deal, God does love you, loves you deeply. But if you take your last breath here on planet Earth and you don't want anything to do with him, you don't want anything to do with his love, here, here's what he does. He just says, okay, let's just make this a permanent deal. You didn't want me down there, then you won't spend your eternity with me. I'll make sure that you spend your eternity in a place that's void of me. I won't be there. I just won't be there. And because God is love, that means this place that you'll spend your eternity is void of love. You see, people try to explain what hell is. Oh, it's a hot place. Well, I don't know if it's hot. It's a place of utter darkness. Well, I don't know. You got fire in there, and, and doesn't that give off light? I mean, you know, there's all these ways we try to describe what hell would be like. Hell, here's the best definition of it. It's a place where Jesus isn't. And he is love. So if he's not there, there's no love there. I couldn't imagine being in a place where it was literally void of love.
And if you don't want God in your life, then God says, okay, you've made the choice. We'll just make it permanent. God doesn't send anybody to hell. That's a choice we make. And that kind of makes some sense, right? If you don't want anything to do with him, if you don't want to experience his love, then God says, okay, I get it. Then we'll just make it forever and ever and ever and ever. But for those of us that have given our lives to Christ, someday we're gonna be in heaven, which means we're gonna be in the very presence of love. Void of all the evil and sin and junk that comes along with this life, you see? And so this is what I'd like to do. Just, just real quick, got a few minutes. Over in the venue, I want you to close your eyes. Everybody just close your eyes in here, just real quick, okay? And I'm gonna wrap this up. And, and here's the deal. I got you with your eyes closed because I don't want you to think about who's sitting next to you. Forget, I don't care if it's your spouse. Forget about your spouse. Forget about your kids. Forget about your parents. Forget about your boyfriend or your girlfriend. This is you alone with God right now. And I don't understand how it all works. I just believe that the Holy Spirit was working in one of your lives. Maybe two. Maybe there's somebody over in the venue. Maybe you're watching online. And God somehow opened your eyes up to the truth, and it was God who did it, that you don't know him. You don't know this God who not only said he loves you, but he demonstrated how much he loved you by going to a cross and dying for you. You don't know him. You've never given your life to him. You've never surrendered your life over to him. If you were to stand before God right now and he were to look at your life, you, 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 you've not loved him because you haven't had his divine nature within you. And right now you're going, man, I want to know God. I want to know him. This is all I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer. Just in your heart, just pray this prayer. This prayer is not found in the Bible. I'm just going to make it up, but you've got to mean it. You've got to mean it. Just right now say, God, I get it. I've lived my life apart from you. I walked into this building this morning not believing in you. But I understand how much you love me, that you're real. I understand today that you sent your son Jesus as a love gift to me. And right now, I surrender my life to Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. I'm no longer going to be the CEO of my life. But I'm giving that responsibility to Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus above all else. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to spend my eternity with you and your love forever. Now, you guys all have your eyes closed. Here's the deal. If you meant that, um, obviously I didn't see it, but, but God did. He did. And something unbelievable happened in your life. You went from 
you know, spending your eternity apart from him when you die to spending your eternity with him forever. A lot of unbelievable things just happened. And, and here's the deal, so I can rejoice with you. If you prayed that, would you raise your hand, even over in the venue, and though I can't see any in the venue, uh, uh, you know, uh, Brandon can, but in here, raise your hand. Yeah, I see you back there, cool. Or, yeah, 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 cool. Anybody else? Make, make, or you can look up at me. Yeah, there's a couple of you right there. Yeah, I see you, ma'am. Okay, here's the deal. Everybody look up here. Everybody look up here. Um, I've done this long enough to know that you can come to something like this and hear all the music and be involved in here and emotionally you go, wow, oh, you know, you got a goose bump and you raised your hand or you prayed a prayer maybe. But, but part of the journey of faith, part of, of surrendering your life over to, to God, letting him be the CEO of your life, as I worded it, is you have to learn about what the CEO wants, how he wants you to live, raise your family, run your business, whatever, whatever all those things might be. And one of the cool things God did was he left this thing called the church, and the church is a, a place where you, we all come and we learn about God, we learn about the CEO, if you will, and what he wants for our lives, what he wants for our families, what he wants for our businesses, what he wants for our children, whatever all those things are. And so the church is here to help you grow in your relationship with him. And here's the deal. I can't help you grow if I don't know who you are. And so I'm gonna ask you to do something here in a moment. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna open the altar room doors up. And I don't know, there looked like there was about 10 people in here that raised your hand. Maybe there was more. And if you really get it, if you really understood the decision you made, you'll get up from your chair when we're done and you'll make your way into the altar room and go, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm nervous, I'm scared. What is this room? What are you gonna do? I, I, I just, I, I prayed today. And somebody, one of our elders, pastors, just take your name, maybe give you a Bible, and then Monday, tomorrow, I'll probably email you. You know, I'm not gonna show up at your door. Hey! That frighten people. But I at least wanna email you and say, man, this is fantastic. I'll, I'll give you some tracks to run on. And here's the deal. <laughs> you don't have five minutes to go in there. If it's more important for you to get to breakfast, if it's more important for you to be first in line at whatever restaurant you're gonna to go to, you don't get it. You're welcome here anytime, come back anytime, but if going to get some food or going to a pool party is more important than going, man, I just surrendered my life over to this God that I know so little about. If you're not willing to give me five minutes or our elders five minutes, then it probably wasn't genuine. I mean, you're not gonna stand before me, but. I don't think you can really get it. And so over in the, uh, the, the venue, we got an altar room there, we got an altar room here. Maybe you just want a Bible. Maybe your marriage is a mess. Would you let us pray for you? Humble yourself, step up and say, hey man, our marriage isn't doing very well. And let, let the spiritual leaders pray for you. Maybe your teenager's gone sideways. Come on in, let us pray for you. Maybe your parents have gone sideways. Let us pray for you. Maybe you're, you're worried about your business and is it gonna make it or not? Let us pray for you. The altar room is a place where you can go. The preaching's done, the giving's done, but God ain't done, and that's a place where we can tease out some things of what the Lord might be doing in, in, in your lives. That, 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 that makes some sense? 
And then elders, we have, a, we have an anointing today, and we may need to move that into Pastor Scott's office. But uh, anyway, everybody stand. Over in the venue stand, let me pray. Father, thanks, Lord, for uh, our time here this morning. And it was fantastic, Lord. Thank you for the music, and thank you for the communion, and the chance to give, and the proclamation of your word, the fellowship, Lord. Thank you for what's going to happen in the altar room right now. And uh, you're good, you're good, you're good. Give us a great afternoon, Lord, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, love, uh, walk with the Lord, okay?